4: Back in the saddle again We're back in the saddle again Okay,
2: Gene Autry, what's that all about?
4: Well, after our normal break, Coon Rapids Nissan and Walzer Nissan are back on the air with ten months of terrible commercials.
2: Ever think of hiring a copywriter? Pat's pretty good.
4: Hey, we're selling cars, not carpets. Anyway, it's too expensive. Check out our new press release.
2: This just in, Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan have started out 2022 as the number one and number two dealers in the state of Minnesota. Jason Leckler has been quoted as saying, this is the year I bump off Dan Resch. He studied animal husbandry for crying out loud. Dan replied with, blow it, JLo."
5: take it from Zap they ship today
2: We are back ladies and gentlemen a little news a little information So Michael what's the latest with you No all right
3: he he good here. There he is. I had my uh, I had it on mute um during the didn't have feedback um you know, just working away. I'm at a convention now that I, I got to on, and it's been interesting. So that's just kind of what's going on. Indeed.
2: Alex made it. That's good. I'm
6: here. I'm here. I'm here. Sorry. Well,
2: uh, let me know when Michelle's ready to go. Mm-hmm. Michelle who? All right. Um, so what do you guys think of the Super Bowl?
0: I watched most of it, actually.
2: Mom and I watched all of it. Do you believe that Mom and I watched what? the entire Super Bowl?
0: I'm yeah, because I was rooting. I was actually rooting for somebody. I wanted the Bengals to she win. You want the
2: Bengals to
6: win? Why oh. did you
0: want the Bengals to win? I like
6: Tigers, but you do. You do like
0: Tigers. And I also <laughs> like. I, I would have liked to have seen sort of a midwestern, you know, team yeah, win. That's what Dan, yeah. Dan
6: was like. They don't get any recognition, and LA has so much stuff. And exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean LA you're up against it because obviously they've got more money, better training, better coaching, better everything, better yeah. you know, conditions and in, in all ways and it's, so it's nice to see. I mean, Bengals almost did it. But they, they did. didn't do it. They did. So close. Yeah, it's true. And then the halftime show, I guess people are just going crazy over. They're either it's a bunch of racist hating people that don't like it And it's like, "Oh my god."
2: So it's all about race if you don't like a song? Oh okay. Well, I
6: think it was because uh, because Eminem was the only white person in it.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah.
6: And so people are upset I that mean. it's that's racist if all black people. Why can't we have representation of all races
7: and you know people are just <laughs> We the every dance club to do the uh Halftime show. Wound
0: and the yeah. only thing I was offended by was Mary J. Blige's wig. It was it was awful. a oh, very
6: God. intense wig. It was so ugly. Really, it really <laughs> was. Really intense it wig. was
0: heinous. We
2: have Michelle on the phone. The only thing I'll say as we trend transition into the interview is I just wish all the rappers would have grabbed their crotch more than they did. I think they only grabbed their crotch about fifty times.
8: You got to do it. On national
2: television, they're standing there grabbing their crotch, gyrating their hips. That's what I want my 8-year-old to see.
0: It's 80s and 90s culture. It's just how it was.
2: I guess. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, Michelle Black, our special guest. Michelle, how are you?
8: Hi, I'm good. How are you?
2: Magnificent Michelle Black. The shocking and affecting memoir from a gold star widow searching for the truth behind her Green Beret husband's death. This book bears witness to the true sacrifices made by military families. What I want to do, Michelle, is just shut up and listen to what you have to say because I've done a lot of uh, a lot of com- well, not they're not commercials; they're they're announcements uh, for Gold Star Families. Uh, did a lot of voiceover for Gold Star Families, and it was my great pleasure to do that. I want you to know.
8: Thank you. I, yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. Goldstar family, I mean, that's definitely not anything I ever thought I'd be, and it's, you know, definitely not something a person ever wants. So. No,
2: you don't want it to be. When Green Beret Brian Black was killed in an ambush in Niger in 2017, his wife Michelle saw her worst nightmare become a reality. She was left alone with her grief and two young sons to raise, but what followed Brian's death was even more difficult a journey for the young widow after receiving very few details about the attack that took her husband's life. It was up to Michelle to find the answers. It became her mission to learn the truth about that day in Niger and sacrifices the result of that mission. As I said, I want to be quiet and just hear all about it, Michelle. First of all, sorry for your loss. What a a horrible thing to have to go through.
8: Thank you so much. Yeah, we, um, you know, it was 2017. October 4th was when he was killed in in the uh, ambush in Niger, and it was the largest largest loss of life on the continent of Africa since the Battle of Mogadishu, which everybody knows as Black Hawk Down. Um, and my my book was really born out of um, injustice and the the desire to write that for everybody involved, the other families, because there were four Americans killed. And for the men on the ground who were being blamed and then punished for what we were being told was their fault, um, what happened was we initially got word that everybody had been killed and then it was followed by just a huge explosion of media because of the fact that it was the largest loss of life and it was, um, green beret, a green beret team. Um, And then what followed that was an investigation opened right away, and the team instantly came under attack. Um, We were told that the team captain had led um, the team on a rogue mission, that they were hunting down a terrorist, which if you know Green Berets, um, and I knew my husband, there's no way there was any truth to this. But that's what the media was saying. They had heard from investigators um, right out of the gate. And we um, just a few months later, it was six months until the investigation was complete. And so during that time, um, the rhetoric amped up against the team. And then there was a video released, um, a head cam video had been stolen by the terrorists off the body of one of the men um, who was killed. And they created a terrorist propaganda video in which they showed the deaths of my husband, Staff Sergeant Brian Black, um, Staff Sergeant Dustin Wright, and Sergeant um, First Class um, Jeremiah Johnson. And that spread, first CBS released it, and then it spread across um, all forms of social media. Sorry, I get <laughs> I get a little choked up thinking about it. I can it. understand um, that, absolutely.
9: Ridiculous.
8: And, yeah, my children saw it, so it, it, it you know, and, and each of those men, um, Jeremiah Johnson had children. And they saw it and it's just it's awful my kids were 9 and 11 at the time and his were um, teenagers so it it just was horrific and in the end we went into our family brief thinking okay at least finally we'll know the truth we'll get a little bit of justice and the investigators lied to us and it was obvious every time I pushed for anything as far as detailed timelines and questioned them about the concept of operations which was their proof that the team went rogue they avoided those questions and um either gave me half truths or outright lies and the final straw was when general Waldhauser the four-star commanding general overall of africom went on um, national TV and said that while all teams on the continent were performing optimally, my husband's team was not indicative of what special operators do. <laughs> and in one fell swoop, he just annihilated that entire team, including the men who died. And my husband, he spoke three languages um, he spoke Hausa, he spoke Modern Standard Arabic, and he spoke French. He taught himself two of those languages. He was a national chess champion as a kid. He was one of the most intelligent men I'd ever knew, skilled in hand-to-hand combat. He was more than worthy of the title of Green Beret. And uh, to say that he he was not, you know, indicative of a special operator was the most insulting thing I had ever heard in my life. And I wasn't going to let him, um, I I wasn't going to let them do that to him in his death. That was was so dishonoring.
10: Did you ever figure
2: out why they did it? Why do they do this?
8: Right. My belief is that there were there were some um, higher level officers who were responsible for everything that they ended up punishing others for. But I believe there were protections around those officers because they've continued to move up the chain. Um, We did manage to get one blocked. But the other one, I think he's probably got some really high-level connections because I can't find anything on him. It's like his whole file just got scrubbed. And so from what I've heard here and there, he's still moving along um, and moving up the chain. But he was responsible not only for... What they punished people for was um, lack of pre-deployment training and for um, bad con But the problem was that this specific lieutenant colonel, his name is David Painter, he actually wrote the 2 conops that directly led to the ambush. And the, se- uh, the second one that he wrote had all sorts of issues with. Um, there were things missing from it, including a second risk assessment before sending my husband's team alone to the border, which would have determined whether or not they should have been going alone because the risk was too high for them, which it was, and they didn't have enough assets, air assets. They didn't have any assets, actually. Um, so he is the one who wrote that, all that paperwork and pushed them ahead against their will. Um, so they had asked to return to base, and he said, no, I want you to do this mission. And on top of it, he was the one responsible for validating all of their pre-deployment training. And yet, he was not punished. Instead, those lower down the chain were.
2: Yeah, that's uh, what a shock that management didn't take a hit. Hard to believe. Um, how do you explain this to your sons? Why um, the government would do this to their father?
8: You know, they, they were young when Brian was killed. They were 9 and 11, and now they are 13 and 15. And I explained that, you know, the government is a big entity, and there are lots of good people in it. And there are, of course, as in any large organization, there are bad people. And unfortunately, there were some bad people who were self centered in this situation with their dad. I don't believe the military is a bad organization. I love the military, mm-hmm. and I'd be right. I'd love it if my kids served. They want to serve. Um, but I do think there are a few individuals who, you know, were allowed to get away with things that they shouldn't have been allowed to get away with, and that's something that hopefully we can work on fixing. Um, but that was kind of why I did – I wrote this book, and that's what I've taught my kids, is you don't get to just accept what you're told. You know, you can go find the truth out for yourself. You don't have to wait for someone to bring the truth to you. So that's what I did. And I know that they'll see that in the future. And if anything ever happens, you know, in in a similar way to them, they'll know that they can go and do what they need to do to get to the truth or to get what did they you, need.
0: Did do you ever contact a journalist to try to help get your story out?
8: No, at that point, because... Um, there were even basic facts that journalists were getting wrong, and I had reached a point where I didn't trust anybody. I knew that I could get the absolute truth from the men on the team, and I I talked to the former SOC Africa commander. He had just left um, right before this happened, so he interviewed with me, Don Bolduck. Major Alan Van Sam lost his career over it, even though he was on paternity leave when the ambush happened. Um, And he was the one who was blamed for the uh, training, which he wasn't there for and didn't validate. Um, So, yeah, so he ended up, he um, interviewed with me as well as there was a Helleborn unit that was supposed to be there on the ground, but they got turned around due to weather. So I spoke with their commanding, um, their commander over their team. So he interviewed with me as well as the survivors of my husband's team.
0: No. were you, were you told to shut up lady uh
8: no, I think they I think no one believed me that I would be able to do this. I'm just an army <sighs> wife, right so great I love you know that's the best thing about being underestimated so right. um <laughs> I think when it actually came out, it was like, wait, <laughs> she pulled this off so um yeah
3: did the people that were punished did they um use this as a defense or did they just take their punishment
8: well what happened was initially the captain of the team was the main one who was held accountable that hadn't you know it his they were the one that they, uh was being said like all across the media and whatever we were being told he went rogue and so he was the main one that came under attack. And then, of course, Major Alan Van San, which I didn't know about him until later, because he just kind of accepted the punishment, frustrated, fought for himself, and then left. Um, so I didn't know all that was going on with, with Major Alan Van San until later. And he, by then, he was already out of the military. Um, but May, um, Captain Perizzini, he was being blamed for lack of pre-mission rehearsals. And which was ridiculous because by the time I ran all of like after I interviewed him, I realized um, I interviewed him in, I want to say summer 2018 and his punishment was handed down in September 2018. And so by then I already knew enough of the details to know that he wasn't at fault for lack of pre-mission rehearsals because it was a short suspense mission, which means it was handed down super fast. They wouldn't have had any time. They had an hour between the mission being handed down and having to move out for the mission, and they hadn't slept. Um, So it was kind of like a movement through the night, and then it was handed to them, and they had an hour to either sleep or do mission rehearsals. So because of that, um, I knew better. So I wrote a letter for him to defend him, and my father-in-law wrote a letter for him. And I think because a little bit of heat was coming from not just – um him fighting back, but also that the family members knew. and um, that looks really bad. So they actually rescinded that initial punishment, and then they did a second round of punishments and then handed him another "go more. So um, and then that one got rescinded as well, because once again, will wrote letters, etc.
2: Michelle, why was it necessary? Why did they think it was necessary to throw your husband and all the other people um, in this uh, mission under the bus? Why, why did they even think they had to do that? I don't get it.
8: Um, because I think it was easier to blame those lowest on the ground than have to explain who was truly responsible for the mission. It's easier to say these guys. First of all, they were under gag orders. So they couldn't stand up for themselves and mm-hmm. they're lowest down the chain. So if they fight back at all, um, they just get punished, you know, either way. So either they accept their go mores and hope to just. I, I, and I think as far as my, you know, it, it's hard to say. My, my best guess is that they value officers more in this situation than they valued the men on the ground somebody did
2: but see that makes no sense to me the men and women on the ground are the ones getting the job done i would put more power in their hands not less
8: exactly but the structure of the military is top down and and right now that's you know not working out very well for those on the ground
2: no, it really is not. Well, you know what? That's kind of the world right now. Everybody sitting at the top thinks they can do whatever they want whenever they want. It's disgusting. I, I, I you know, nothing this severe. I have not gone through anything nearly as bad as you've gone through. But, it, Michelle, it does sound like you're handling this very, very well. I mean, obviously, you're going to get choked up once in a while, but you were there as a strong mom for your boys, it sounds like.
8: Yeah, absolutely. And,. You know, I think that the top-down structure in the military is great and it's necessary, but we need to have some sort of um, oversight as far as the officers and when a situation like this happens. I think the worst problem that we ran into specifically in my, in my um, experience with, with the Niger incident is that AFRICOM, the Africa Command, um, they investigated themselves. So a four star command investigating a four star command, which then of course they found no fault at the higher levels. They only started right. at the lowest right. levels. And then of course they they got to say, Well now you need to punish your people down. You know, they got to tell the three star command that now you need to punish your people. So you know, we need to have some, some rules put in place to keep that from happening again.
2: So you said your boys want to and what what are the first names of your boys?
8: <laughs> Ezekiel and Isaac.
2: Ezekiel and I, ooh, big shot. Those are pretty snazzy <laughs> names, I'd say.
8: Yeah, I'm a fan. She <laughs> <just> goes, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. So how were they doing with this whole thing? They were 9 and 11 now, 13 and 15. How, how are they de- dealing with it? I mean, obviously, they hear the sadness in your voice, and I'm sure you have days where it's a lot harder than other days. How are the boys dealing with it?
8: You know, they're, they're doing it, um, dealing with it really well. Um, kids are very resilient, and I try to teach them to be strong and positive and find the good things rather than the bad things. And my oldest son is on the spectrum and autism spectrum, and he, you know, he's always had to overcome it. Life has just always been a, a harder, it's been harder for him. And now he's getting straight A's in school, in high school, and he tells me every day, he's like, I just, I don't want to make the loss of my dad become um, something that I use to be a victim and Mm -hmm. and to make my life harder. He goes, I want to use it to make myself stronger and a better human being. Um, And that's kind of what I try to teach them is like, your dad went all out for the little bit of life he had. um, So just go out and, you know. Live it up as long as you've got because you don't know how long you have. And, you know, take full advantage and don't be a victim because there's a lot of people out there who have it a lot worse than you do. And so they, yeah. they're they doing good.
2: No, I'm glad to hear that. Do they ever, do they realize maybe, maybe uh, they could, you could pass, I'm sure they do realize, but in case they don't, that uh, their father being a Green Beret was a very tough guy, but their mother might be even tougher. <laughs> <laughs> In different aspects, perhaps. <laughs> in different aspects, exactly. Yeah. In different aspects. But that, you could see why a Green Beret would be attracted to you because you're a very strong human being. Obviously, to be in the Green Beret, you have to be a really strong human being. But I could see why you had such a great relationship because you thought the same way. It's like we, we will stand here. We're not going to back down. You can just keep firing away at us if you want to. But we're not moving and we're not backing down. I really admire that in you, Michelle.
8: Thank
2: you so much. Well, it's only because it's true. (laughs) I'm just (laughs) telling you. It's only because it's true. Um, I need to take a very quick break. You have about 10 more minutes. Does that work? Okay, we'll be right back in a couple minutes. Michelle Black with us. The book is called Sacrifice, A Gold Star Widow's Fight for the Truth. Right back. The 2022 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Get out of the cold and into a 25,000-square-foot heated showroom at Dan's Southside Marine. A huge inventory of boats means the best deals of the year. Over 60 boats on display from Premier, Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Explore what's new for 2022 We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Michelle Black, our special guest, Sacrifice, a gold star widow's fight for the truth. It's uh, available on Amazon and just about everywhere. I know there are people uh, in, uh, in Studio A that have some questions, I'm sure, and I just want to make sure I get out of your way because we only have about ten more minutes left with Michelle.
0: Can I just tell a cute little story? But love to hear it. Okay, so I was taking my um, three-year-old grandson for a walk, and we went through this park, and it has a gold star... Um, memorial. It?
2: Yeah, it does. Yeah. And
0: he wanted to look at it, and I read the whole thing. We talked about what a Gold Star family is, and I taught him how to salute. And we, you know, he was he was really into it, and it was very touching. I was like, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Three four hours later, do you want to tell Bop up what a Gold Star family is? He says, I don't know. <laughs> 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 yeah, there you go. He didn't know if he wanted to tell me is what he
2: meant by that.
0: No, I think it was just too much information. Yeah. Not great with the memory on that mm-hmm. one. That yeah, was pretty fun. It was pretty <clears> funny. <throat> yeah, I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, he was really into it though. He liked he liked the you know understanding it, and he really liked learning how to salute. But he's only three. Get, well, so for, the of the, for
6: the rest of the for the rest of the trip though, he would run to the door anytime we were going back to the condo and stand in front of the door and salute.
9: Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so he
3: did learn something yep. <laughs> he learned something he- yeah. Michelle um, yeah? did you play any role in the congressional the the con- congressional review because it looks like they did a number of uh, at least investigations into it um, did, did you guys play any role as far as testimony or any of the evidence that you were finding
8: no no I didn't um, I think uh, you know, I don't really know how all of that went down.
9: Mm-hmm.
8: So, um, And then, like I said, I don't think many people realized I was writing a book, and it was taking all my effort between raising the kids, doing the interviews, and writing. Um, and we moved across <laughs> cross country during that time. So um, a lot of that happened, and I was like, oh, this is great. I wish I would have, you know, been aware and been a part, but no.
3: What did you find in there, Michael? It was just the, the different testimonies. I was just reading about that and, and what a couple of them uh, said, because it sounds like a couple of them got it completely wrong based upon what they were being told. Um, and I, I just bought the book, too. So I'm, I'm really interested in just the overall uh, work you've done. And thank you for the, what you've done for our country, both in the sacrifice and what you do as a, as a wife.
8: Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I always say it's it's been, you know, the greatest honor of my life that I could do this and that the men on the team trusted me. Because Green Berets, they don't talk. Um, Right. They don't talk to anyone. So that was, you know, um, and, and you'll find in the book. I, because of that, I went out of my way to learn as much as I could. So when I wrote the section on the ground, it's extremely detailed. I wanted it to be written as though I was a special operator, but, you know, so I would have the same um, knowledge that they would have. So it's very thorough because it's what I wanted and what the other families wanted and deserved from the military, which was a breakdown minute by minute of what happened. And... Um, you know how they ended up in that position, and why they should not have, and who was actually responsible
2: Michelle, how old were you and uh, and your husband when you met Brian <laughs> when when you and Brian met How old were both of you?
8: Oh gosh, well, he was five years younger than me, so <laughs> he was brilliant. He um, graduated high school um, at the same time as getting his two year degree from college so when I met him he just graduated with his four-year degree and he was 20 and I was 25 and um he actually was dating a friend of mine and um two years later we were married and I was 27 he was 22.
2: (laughs) And he told you at at one point he wanted to become a Green Beret did he did he know in that age range that that this is what I want to do?
8: He'd wanted to be a Green Beret or a Navy SEAL from the time he was Probably ten years old, oh, okay. um so I always knew that was in the back of his mind um when I met him, he was playing online poker for a living, ironically and, um, <laughs> okay. yeah he made he actually wanted to be a day trader um with stocks, and a friend of his who was really successful at it told him, "Well, you need to learn." risk management measures first, so why don't you go ahead and um, play online poker for a living? It'll help you learn how to manage risk. And so mm. he started doing that and started making such good money that um, he stuck with that for a few years. And then banking laws tightened, and it became risky to um, put money onto the accounts and to take them off. Um, and that's basically what ended online gaming, was the fact that you had to put your money in offshore accounts in order to... Um, move him into poker, mm-hmm. um, right. online poker. Yeah.
2: So when he he did make the announcement at what age that he wanted to join the United States Army and become a, a Green Beret? How old was he then?
8: Well, we've been married for about three years, so he was twenty. I he was twenty five or twenty six when he joined. So he was older.
2: And did you come? Did you talk? Try to talk him out of it? Did you support him? Did you try to talk him into it? How, what was your take on it?
8: I. Told him, it, you know, at that point, we had, like I said, we had a child on the autism spectrum, so one of us had to be home all the time. And right. I said, you know, if that's what you want to do to support the family and that'll make you happy, um, you should do what's going to make you happy right now, because you have to do it all the time. So I supported him.
2: And now, I mean, how old was he when he died again?
8: He was 35
2: he's only 35 yeah that's mm-hmm. what an amazing story you have the book is available everywhere sacrifice a gold star widow's fight for the truth i am so glad that we got a chance to meet today and talk today uh i like, like i said you're a very very strong person i can see why brian was interested in a woman and i mean the five years is not that much anyway although i'm eight years older than Catherine, and she keeps insisting she's like 28 years younger than me but you know other than that
0: who does that so who do,
2: what <laughs> who does it well michelle yeah. uh, all the best to you and your family and i, I know you must have you still have nights when you lie in bed and go why did this have to happen yeah. But yeah. Show some faith, and you'll get through this. You will absolutely get through Well, you're a very strong person anyway, Michelle. Thank you very much for your time today.
8: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate
2: it. Absolutely. Have a good day. Bye.
8: You too. Bye-bye.
2: I was going to ask a question to Catherine. I said, can you imagine what that would have been like when, you know, Andy and Alex and, <coughs> oh. and you're at home, and I would have got killed you then. Yeah, so uh, uh, so what? Uh, okay,
0: uh, what's up with you today? <laughs> <laughs> what is this all about? Great question.
2: Well, I'm teasing. I'm teasing your mom because it's Valentine's Day, and she gave me the stiff arm. Said, eh, "I don't have any cards or anything for you."
1: Uh, I cannot find
0: <laughs> Alex. Did you take? No, I did not Valentine's take Valentine's thing? You never gave. Okay, them there's to me. a there's a bag of Valentine stuff somewhere. Cards somewhere. you <laughs> were supposed to take home some <laughs> candies <laughs> to the kids. You never gave I them have looked. To me. Everywhere. Maybe it's with I'm my gonna, shoes
6: and other clothes that you put in a random bag in I your closet. I did not put it in
0: there. That you absolutely
6: you. did. No, nope, you <laughs> definitely did it. <laughs> All
0: right.
2: So where where is it?
0: We don't know. The can the Valentine stuff is missing. <clears throat> it's still missing because you mentioned oh, it you to me while Well, it was, I was it there. was candy, so I would have definitely put it high up, so, yeah, Jude, so Jude couldn't have gotten it. I've looked in every high up area that we have in this space. Yeah. I don't understand where it is. You
6: mentioned it to me while I was there. You were like, "Oh, we can't forget." And then I was like, "Oh, we forgot." And now they're missing. Like
0: lots of other yeah, things. Yeah, you forgot the 45 pounds of candy that Becky you brought over from 45 England. 45 pounds of British candy. Yep. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Well, I couldn't have yeah. put it. I couldn't have fit it in my bag anyway. I don't know where. I would have had to bring another bag just for candy.
0: <clears throat> yeah, you would have had to bring the candy. I would have then. had yeah, to have an <laughs> above.
6: Yeah, I just had my backpack which was full, so I was like, "Well, I don't well, yeah, I forgot it anyway, and it was a lot of candy.
0: It was a lot.
2: Yeah. And candy. where is it? Did you put it up on a shelf or something? Because it's not going to last until you – until.
0: No, it was, a, it, it was mom in the closet up on the shelf because the kids kept getting into it every oh, chance yes. they got. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mom said, yeah, I
6: found them in there one time with the lights off with the light bright eating candy. I was like <laughs> – <laughs> <laughs> All right. Unbelievable. I was like, how much candy have you eaten? One. One piece. Mm-hmm. Three. Two piece. Five, three. maybe five. It was like, <laughs> I was like five. five. Was it more than five? No. no, no, it was
0: three. Five. They were like, no, yeah, it's five. She knows an five. acceptable amount is three. Yeah, I know. Yeah. There.
6: I was like, I get it. You get a giant bag of candy and you just go wild.
0: Yeah, you do. Me too.
6: It's fine. <laughs> It's fine. And British Uh, candy is better than American
2: candy. Well, it's all true, I'm sure.
6: Yeah, Cadbury is
0: better in the
6: English kind. It's not as sweet. I don't like milk chocolate. Like, I mean, if you gave me milk chocolate, I'd be like sweet, thanks, and I'd eat it. But I wouldn't, like, I prefer dark.
0: Ugh. Mm Mm-hmm.
7: See, most people hate dark don't chocolate, know. but I, I don't know, but it, always... milk
6: chocolate is just too like sweet and you can like crunch sugar in it a lot of the time. And that I'm like, get true, this yes. out of here. So, and British chocolate just isn't as sweet. So it's like the perfect balance between not too dark and like bitter.
9: Mm-hmm. It's
6: good stuff. And then they have all of their gummies don't have artificial food coloring in them, which my kids can't have red food coloring and so they got to eat all the like pink and rainbow gummy yeah. candy they could want, which was like their dream. That's why they snuck it into a closet with a light bright.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they snuck You're into like, the closet fu- with a light well, like bright.
6: today is going to be rough because it's valentine's day and they're both having valentine's day parties at their school and everything right. has everything red, is red and pink yep. food coloring everything in it. Is red. and so they bring home all this stuff and i have to be like well you can't eat any of it yeah. and then they're mad at me and i'm like okay maybe blame america for allowing red food coloring <laughs> not my problem exactly
2: I don't know. But. We're blaming America yep. for the all so,
0: around. Alex, it. did you watch the Super Bowl? Did you watch I the did. halftime
6: show? I watched it until it was like halfway through the last quarter. Sage woke up and then I was like, well, I'll just go to sleep now. And so I didn't watch the end of it, but I saw most of it, yes.
0: So what did you think? I mean, you're kind of a child of the time. I'm a child of the <laughs> time. Whatever that like. Well, because it was mostly football? 90s rappers, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, they were like, yes. pretty old school. Yes. Was Humpty there?
6: other than no he, it was did he
7: like his oatmeal no humpty it was it was
2: snoop, snoop Dogg, Dogg dr. dr dre eminem well, kendrick well, that, lamar's kendrick the lamar. that only very, non, random. They very
6: like random 90s yeah. they threw kendrick lamar in there because it's like youth needs something yeah. Yeah. he is so uh, small oh yeah he's not big Tiny. oh my god yeah. when he was around all those men because they had a bunch of men surrounding him and i was just like and then he came out of the group of men and he was in front of all of them and i was like how he's like, five six, I think, is what yeah, I Googled five, it. I was like, wow. yeah, actually, I kept little. making Dan Google so many things. during Because, like, <laughs> have as a person with ADHD, like, I think of things. And I'm like, I need to find this out immediately. And I didn't have my phone with me. It was dead. And so I was like, Dan, will you look this up? Dan, will you look this up? And then I stopped asking him. Because I was like, well, I don't want him to be annoyed with my questions. And then I would just ask questions of, like, I wonder how tall <laughs> Kendrick Lamar is. He doesn't seem tall. And he's like... Do you want me to Google? (laughs) He
7: is much shorter than Taylor Swift like a head. Yeah, Taylor Swift is small. <laughs> He's a head it's
6: shorter than Taylor, Taylor Swift. Omar is yeah. very small. Yeah, and then 50 yeah. cent just appeared upside
4: down. Yeah, he was very down. random, yeah. doing some sit-ups. So,
1: <laughs> we why was he Mary upside down. I don't know Cuz in the
4: in the original down. music video for the song, that was like his thing. He was upside down oh, like a laboratory. It's so old. sad that you yeah. know that. That's uh, you know what? Somebody's got to be the the culture on the yeah. show. <laughs> the culture, yes. I saw
6: I saw a meme that said, "Can we get a hologram Tupac?" and then it was like the the, um pawn stars guys and like best we can do is an upside down 50 cents <laughs> i
9: know like,
0: yeah. I, I i really have a hard time understanding all the outrage about it i really do i mean it was just a matter of time before outrage. we're gonna have a rap you know halftime. Yeah. i'm surprised well, it hasn't I mean, happened before
4: and it wasn't I, even that yeah. bad
6: no like and i like
4: it I'm, wasn't that. Bad. I, it was right. There wasn't fine. anything. It was just a normal. I mean, Snoop
6: Dogg's little tracksuit was adorable. Mm. I was like, I want that tracksuit. His suit.
4: wife was wearing in a matching tracksuit. Oh I my saw god! The of,
6: yep, bless him, bless him. <laughs> but Somebody they...
4: married him. I don't know yeah, if it's wife for Mr. wife. Yeah,
6: they had like a reality show together for a while, mm-hmm.
4: and like all they of did?
6: his children were there. Yeah, because he was back when he would coach
3: yeah. little league football out in California. Yep. Yep.
6: And then he coached the Puppy Bowl.
3: He did. Yep. Coach Him and a Martha volleyball. Stewart
6: were puppy bowl coach coaches. Coach a puppy. There's no I, they way. They were just, they weren't. Yeah. It was hilarious. They're though. not going to
2: listen to a thing you say. Yeah. So, Tevin, I need you to do something since you're, you're yep. the only black man in America today on the, on the show this morning. Yep. Could you for the rest of the show grab your crotch like all the rappers Please did on the during Super that. Bowl? Please don't do that.
6: I would be very uncomfortable.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on, it. Really Be was, a rapper, just I grab was, your junk on international television.
6: I was very excited though because there's these three dancers that I follow on Instagram and have for years and they were in the show. All of a sudden they like showed up in one of the little boxes and I was like, "Oh my
0: god. It's them." Really? It was, yeah, it was very exciting for me. Well, Michael Jackson used to do that and he wasn't really a, he wasn't a rapper. No. Oh yeah, he did he that all the, time. His crotch yeah. all the time.
7: Yeah. Just In the, kind of uh, the thing guys a, do.
0: And he at one point was black.
7: At one point, <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> there's yeah. a uh, Sega Genesis game yeah.
7: <laughs> called Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, where you play as Michael Jackson, oh, really? and one of the special moves you can do, <laughs> just you just your grab your crotch. Yeah? That's it. Yeah, it doesn't like do he doesn't do anything. You can just it. you can just do you it. Yep.
6: Oh my gosh, he might have started it. Even I think he might have.
7: Might have. I don't know. Well. If anyone started it, I would say it's either him or maybe like Elvis. Did Elvis ever do that? No, he no, did. Elvis he did not do that. You can find, find, find a video of Elvis
4: grabbing his crotch so all these white people can sh- <laughs> Yeah. <shut up.
2: laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't know. I don't. What do you care. mean white it people? Listen to you, you racist. It doesn't. Baseball players me. have done it forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a little different yeah. though. Adjusting their
4: cup.
6: I, also, Dr. Dre looks fantastic. He does not mm-hmm. age. What is going on?
0: Like he looks the same well, how old as like is he? 20 years ago. Yeah, you're right. He looks like 60. Yeah.
7: He, yeah, he is 56.
4: Good for him.
0: Probably has a really good facialist. Probably. Oh God, I'm
7: sure he's had a lot of work. Everyone's Probably. had a lot of work done in the entertainment entertain oh, business.
0: Yeah, the other weird thing about the Super Bowl to me was most of the commercials were just, like, recycling yeah. vintage actors. Yeah. I was like, what is and this all
6: them, about? Some of them didn't make any sense. I was like, so many Super Bowl commercials. I'm like, what is this a commercial for? Like, what are you trying to sell? Like until the very end when the like, you know, mm. icon shows up. Icon that's not what I'm trying to say. Logo. Logo. There we go. And then I'm like, oh yeah. Who scanned the QR code?
3: Oh my one of my,
6: my friends. Q- yeah. Yeah.
4: Scanned. That was weird that ping yeah, pong that across really the weird. screen like that. I
6: know. Yeah. I was like and again I didn't have my phone, so I was like, Dan, scan the QR code. Well, I thought I was that. like I know it's a cryptocurrency thing. I can just feel it.
0: I thought most of the commercials were a big disappointment yes good. the e-trade one with the little kid sitting there chopping wood and he's retired and he takes oh, the a baby. swig out of his yeah. sippy cup oh my gosh! the kids <laughs> thought that, that was, was cute the
6: kids thought that was hilarious because we watched oh, I loved we watched like the first cute. half hour with them before they went to bed and yeah they thought that was really funny
0: yeah, i thought it was a pretty good game all in all yeah like it wasn't
6: boring or anything like super bowl games can sometimes be like and well I'll, it was yeah, very exciting
0: I know. Oh, they didn't throw any flags. Hardly. Van, he's a wide Jefferson receiver. Jefferson yep. had to go to the hospital his,
6: after,
10: after yep. his wife. Yeah. His
6: wife just went into labor during the game and he like ran uh, from winning the Super Bowl to the hospital uh, and his baby was born at like 9 p.m. Wow. Day. Big day for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, she was 40 weeks pregnant. So yeah,
2: it's time it's bound to happen. Forty weeks pregnant. I mean Jesus.
6: months, weeks. Yeah, months. Forty months pregnant. 40, She's a, forty, a 40 months. Yeah, oh. oh, months. That sounds like a three years. Forty, 40 came out smoking months. Cigarettes. Yep. I know.
0: Three feet. Tall. No, I don't know. I, I thought. Like I said, I there's all this outrage running around about the, the, the how many murderers got to perform.
4: Put a couple black people on stage <laughs> and everybody's outraged.
0: Well, yeah. although the like they're
6: murderers and those s- sexual
4: people. assaulters, yeah, and he's that he definitely sexually assaulted somebody. Um, yeah,
6: and you not know, didn't Fifty Cent? No, he got he, shot in the he face. He He got nine shot times. nine times. Yeah. Nine times. Yep. I don't know. That's and literally I, all I, I was know about him. as I was watching it, I was like, "There's going to be people that are like." Eminem's the only white guy in the whole thing, and this isn't an equal mm-hmm. representation, and blah blah blah. Oh, I was like, I God, knew this, I'm sick of that.
7: That was gonna happen. Where are all but. the Asian rappers? All right. Yeah,
6: where's Mexicans? Where's mm-hmm. yeah, <clears throat> Eastern Indians? Where's like Native
0: people? Where's I know. know and then they were all upset that Eminem <clears throat> took a knee. It's like, who cares? Yeah, which I didn't him, even like, know why he noticed it until. He, he looked like
6: he yeah. was crying when he was
7: taking the knee. His
0: Probably body was,
6: was like, I think, kind he of was,
0: I think he was acting. I yeah. I think think he might have
6: Eminem been. also looks great. Performative. Like, he doesn't look like he's
7: aged. Well, we'll have Ralph on tomorrow and he can explain why. <laughs> he can tell us
0: why <laughs> doctors <Ray> and Eminem. <laughs> explain the procedures. Look so
2: good. You mean we'll have a cosmetic surgeon tell us why people stay long, young looking yeah. for so long?
0: <laughs> yes. Botox. Botox.
2: I think that's hilarious. Why don't we take a break here? Be back in about seven minutes with hour two, which of course will include Kostaki Economopoulos. Now we're talking.
5: Take it from Zap. They ship today.
2: We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for hour two with the family. Uh, Okay, so Andy, Alex, 33, 31, give me your take on what uh, Jill had to say. No comment. (laughs) Okay, no comment. Andy didn't agree with any of it.
7: About what? Some
2: of it. College, I
7: 100% agree on what's that that it's too expensive it's all corrupt
2: that it yeah. needs
7: to be torn down and
2: rebuilt okay but I, am i wrong but she said it was conservative politicians that are the problem and then she blamed it all on bill clinton didn't she do didn't she say bill clinton no, she said Bill Clinton
7: unfettered Sally May or something. yeah that's
10: that's what increased the, uh, that's the what tuition increased the and that's what oh. triggered that sort of stuff so that's what caused that but she also mentioned that you know oh there were grants available I had no grants available to me yeah. when I went to college because my parents made too much money oh, my yeah. and my yeah. mother they just so I was in an income at that time and I, and we lived we, I we didn't live in a palatial state it's just that both my parents worked they were both professionals and, no, I had no access to that. I well, had none. Zero.
7: If you look at the cost of tuition for inflation, mm-hmm. it all does start right at 1981. So something happened Reagan. there. That's Ronnie Reagan. So something happened there, but nothing it's – a, it's a geometric increase since then. It increased basically the same amount every year since then for the past 40 years. Really? So he may have started the train, but no one has tried to stop it, so you do wonder about that, because,
10: yeah, oh, if you look no. at
7: it every single year, just about the same amount of increase, and it, it hasn't slowed down, it hasn't accelerated anything, so, well. so
10: if, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> if, you, if you you know I, when I went to Arizona State University, I was an outstate resident, and it was 2500 dollars a year for outstate resident tuition. And I bet you you can't touch that for 25000 now.
2: The one day that I went to college, I paid for a quarter. and only went one day. It was It was uh, not a quarter. It was a semester. What are they, two semesters? You paid yeah.
6: for it and went one day? Yeah. Oh, my God.
2: Uh, $900. For, no, that was for the year. It was not for the semester. It was for the whole year. It was 900 bucks a year when I, when I went to the U Well, that's, I was just, day. I was just
6: looking at St. Kate's. So as a St. Kate's graduate, I can take a semester or a class per semester for free for the rest of my life. There you go. Um, and so I was looking at some classes just like online, something yeah. fun, you know, and a master's program, a two-year master's program now is... 30 credits, I think, and it was almost $900 per credit.
2: Yikes. Jeez, isn't that amazing? That's yeah.
7: ridiculous. I'm paying like, <laughs> God, I know. Uh, think, well, let's see. I did 31 credits this semester and I paid $3,500. So. 100
2: bucks? A little over 100 bucks?
6: Yeah, because, like, Natalie, my friend who lives in Fargo, she's like, oh, I'll take one of the classes with you. Like, that would be fun to do together Mm -hmm. because they're online and she lives in Fargo. So it'd be like that would be perfect. And I was like, yeah, it would be almost $4,000 for you to take Mm -hmm. a four-credit class.
2: So basically, if we said that Ronald Reagan in 1981 did something to start all this, you can't just hang it on him because then Bill Clinton comes along with a Sally Mae. Is it Sally Mae? Is that who it is? I think so uh unfettered uh therefore you here's the biggest problem with what bill clinton did he made it impossible to file bankruptcy against your student loan you cannot include your student loans in a bankruptcy which means they would give you five times more money if you asked for it because if you can't file bankruptcy there's no risk for them
10: yeah there's no risk there's no risk of loss
2: so he took the risk away so all of a sudden hey we'll give you 50, 70, 90 grand a year if you want it.
10: Yeah, yeah, and and, and the tuition's going to go up we're gonna because it. we're going to take it. Because we're going to take it.
2: That's exactly
7: it. So, so you're going to
10: have to take it. As long as there's demand, it's going to go up. <laughs> and it could have been Jimmy Carter did something that was triggered then.
2: That's true. That is true. Because Jimmy was there from 77 to 81.
10: Because it was such yeah. a mess with, uh, with double-digit double 80, inflation, double-digit unemployment, double-digit interest yeah. rates. That yeah, was true. at the end of Carter's Regime, yep. with the economy was a wreck.
2: Well, I remember I, I met Catherine in nineteen eighty. I think I met her. Was it eighty eight? I met her in eighty one, and I know that I I at that time owned a home, but I could not get a mortgage for less than I think it was fifteen percent interest. Yep. And uh, so I was paying, and this was it was a nice house, but it wasn't that great a house. I think it was probably. I don't know how much it was back then. My payment was seven thousand dollars a month. Seven grand a month for just an average house. This was not a snazzy house at all. It was in Brooklyn Park, as a matter of fact, not exactly your high tone area. Seven grand a month,
10: and uh, back then, and the other part of housing, you know, part of housing, particularly in rental housing, if it's so high, it's because of taxes. Yep. That no, landlord that is going to pass correct. taxes. So taxes have gone up because of social program. I mean, there's there's some. It's it's a it's not just a conservative problem. It's not just a liberal problem. This is an overall problem. It's it is everybody's yes. responsibility.
2: And see, that's my argument. I don't want to hear that it's the Democrats. I don't want to hear that it's Republicans. It's both of you. You're both sticking it to us, and you know you are. Mm. Uh, but people will choose uh, people love to pick sides. Yes, they do. That's why we have a two party system instead of a bigger bigger group of people to choose from, because Americans particularly love to play for the home team, man. They just love it.
10: And that's why we have sports. And sports, that's why yeah. it's, exact, it's a it parallel a sport. to sports.
2: It is, absolutely, it's a parallel to sports. It's the same exact thing. I'm with the winner. That's all I know. And even though I'm with the winning party because we're not being treated well, I'm a victim.
10: So we I got get to to be call a winner
2: her. and a victim. That's right. Who's a caller? Wendy. Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. I'm never going to stop doing Hello. that. Clearly. What's up, sister?
1: That's okay. You know, I, I think I would actually be sad if you didn't. I mean, <laughs> yeah.
2: That's true.
1: Um, you know, for school, I, I mean, I can speak from pretty recent experience. I mean, me graduating a couple of years ago, and my daughter just graduating in the fall. And oh. okay. You know, I know, or last fall, part of the problem is, and this is something I just kind of roll my eyes about, is that one of the things that makes college so expensive is that universities, instead of investing in programs and, you know, things like that and making things affordable for students, they're like, oh, hey, we want to build this really expensive new building, and how are we going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we have monthly fees that the students have to pay they don't count it in the tuition what they do is they say oh we have these fees that you have to pay every month my daughter had 10 different fees that she had to pay oh, at gosh. just a state university in wisconsin and they were all for different projects some of which she never used and but they're making students pay for all of them like that and that added up to a fair amount of money
2: oh god yes absolutely
1: And on a four-year degree, yeah, whole books. And on a a four-year on a four-year degree, this is totally me. They do not need like the first two years. They have you know your generals. I don't think they need as many generals as they have. I mean, I know that they say they do it to make well-rounded students, but you know, I took a world religions philosophy for the only reason because I had to fulfill that humanities. I mean, I think I would have appreciated more classes actually on my major mm-hmm. than, you know, underwater basket weaving. <laughs> well,
7: just, just me. Yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? But it's understandable. That's how they get their money?
1: Well, and even though we paid half for the daughter's college, she still has like over thirty thousand dollars that she has to pay
2: oh god
1: it is unbelievable wait a second this is it's a state university the tuition was cheap but she lived on campus which you know it served its purpose and it was just i just kept looking and thinking well you know you don't want to ask what more can you charge me for because i'll think of something
2: yeah well that's very very
10: true yeah Yeah, but the other choice in education is not going to the university Mm -hmm. for the first two years or even three years I have I have three people in my family, mm-hmm. my wife, son, and daughter. They went to uh, junior college in LA, which was virtually free, virtually free, oh. and they finished their first yeah, two years me. there and then transferred.
1: That's what I did for mine. I I did uh, you know shout out for anybody the you know the local community colleges around here they mm-hmm. really are good you know so I got my associate's degree and I transferred. But, you know, with the daughter, she has, you know, the Asperger's autism issues. So it provided the service that she lived on campus and it really helped for socialization for her. So that that's an investment well spent for us. But for me, I tried to save money wherever I could. And some of the classes you had to take just because they wanted a well-rounded student, it, it were ridiculous. And, you know, then people ask you, what did you learn, you know, on that degree? I mean, I graduated with a 4.0. And they're like, oh, what did you learn? And I mean, Honestly, I'm just as smart as I thought I was. You know, That's pretty much it.
10: You pretty much don't need all the universities that we have. We could probably get by with 10 universities. Yeah. And if they, they start applying 24th, 21st century solutions to this 19th century or no, not a 19th, 17th century problem, you know, what they should do That's is that these sure. classes should be online. Virtually all of them should be online. A professor can lecture mm-hmm. to 100 people. He can lecture to 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. It's the same words. They can take the same well, tests. The, the, te- the tests can be standardized. You
1: know, you know, the funniest part of it is they charge more for online classes.
10: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: I love that so I much. I couldn't
1: believe it. I'm <laughs> like, why do you charge more for online classes? They they charge up to 20% more for online classes. Oh, my classes God,
2: what a scam.
1: Because I know, I know. I was paying like almost, I was paying uh, like in the college that I finished my degree at, which will go unnamed, um, they were charging like 20% more. And I said, why are you charging so much money for these classes? well, you know, we have these technology fees, and I said, how much different is that than the electricity and the heat that you have to use in the building? These should not be higher. And they said what they did was because the online classes can be taken with people from out of state, they kind mm. of took the out of state and the in state, and they averaged it. And I said, no, that's not right either.
2: What an amazing story. All right, sister. Yeah, I need to run
1: my own college. I'm in the wrong racket.
2: Yeah, that's true. we don't become billionaires, maybe <laughs> trillionaires.
1: No kidding. All right. Well, y'all have a good day now. You too, Wendy. Thank Bye. you very much.
2: Bye. Wendy calling in. We'll be right back in a couple of seconds with the family. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. Four nine one six five two seven. That's continuum, C O N T I N U U M, continuumweightwellbeing.com. I've learned so much from them, and I know you will too. Continuum Weight and Wellbeing Life Beyond Weight Loss Mode. What is that song? Rock and Roll Doctor. Rock and Roll Doctor. Okay, we're going to get to, um, in just a couple of seconds, we want to talk for a bit about Veterans Airlift Command, because it was a very oh, cool yeah. thing. We'll oh, talk yeah. about that in a second. But I want to bring one thing up. There's a question I have. Once again, I am not a Republican. I am not a Democrat. I don't have, I'm not taking sides politically in this at all, but I do have a question. Uh, Jill just threw out the stat that black black youth do worse now as far as housing is concerned mm-hmm. than they did 70 years ago. Right?
10: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, 70 years ago, they also started, they changed their party, went from Republican to Democrat, and have made no gains whatsoever in that 70 years, according to Joe. They've lost. They've lost. They've lost position. Why do you keep voting for the same party if they've done nothing? And I'm not saying that Republicans did anything for you before that. I'm not saying that at all. But why do you keep voting for a party that does nothing for you? I'll never understand why blacks keep, why do they all vote? democrat i don't get it nor do i i mean I, i'm not trying you know blasting the democratic party but I, i'm sorry i looked at it 70 years now they've been promising and promising and promising and nothing ever happens
7: well black home ownership is another symptom of increased urbanization yeah that's true you know everyone's yep. flocking to the cities yep. prices are going up you know anyone can afford a house an hour and a half out of the city because they're yeah. all super cheap because no one right, wants them. Right. But no one is willing to go out there and live the way that their grandparents did, you know, far away from everything. Every time you wanted to go right. to the store, you had to, you know, drive an hour. No one wants to do that. But the downside to not doing that is the fact that you're paying more. So <laughs> right. So you can choose. You can – people say it's like, you know, my ancestors paid so little for housing – but, well, yeah, but you're not living anywhere near the way they are. So why are you comparing the two?
2: I know. I just don't understand why, why that's even uh, compare. I did, I, I did like Jill. She made a couple of good points, a couple of things I didn't agree with. But, but I find it interesting that when I ask questions like, why do black people still vote Democrat, they think, oh, my God, you're conservative and you're over. No, I'm not. I'm asking you a question that uh you're convinced that that the democrats are going to bring you out of whatever situation you're in and they've never done it so why do you keep thinking that and
10: i've 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 thought the same thing about uh the jewish vote typically that leads liberal
2: it does yeah Yeah. the
7: ashkenazis do yep Yeah. But the uh, orthodox tend not to. They tend not to. Because oh, really? The, the orthodox. Oh, yeah. The orthodox
2: tend to vote Republican. Well,
7: Ashkenazis are. I don't know about the statistics, but a lot of them are secular. They're not even really religious in any way. Right. So of course they're going to vote for the anti-religion party.
10: But but it, it oh for the anti-religion party.
7: Mm-hmm. It's basically what the Democrats are. They hate religion. Yep. Yeah. So so
10: Ashkenazi should vote Republican.
7: No. Because Ashkenazi's, Ashkenazis, Ashkenazis are. aren't religious. They're, okay, they're not religious. they're secular. They're secular. They're very secular.
10: Okay, so that's not they're not really a religion. You can't really you shouldn't call them as a religion. They're,
2: exactly.
10: It's an ethnicity. It's not in uh, Okay, there you go. They can there
7: call, you call them
2: Jewish-ish. Yeah. Ah! Oh, get it? Oh, God. Get it? He
6: thinks Jewish. it's so funny.
2: It's a Jewish joke? Come on. I get it. Okay, never mind.
6: Ralph,
2: <laughs> Ralph <laughs> likes like so this. See, you're not really a Jew, <laughs> but I'm Jew-ish. See, get it? Jew <laughs> like <laughs> like it. Oh. I'll ask Tony Lee tomorrow morning. Oh, be great. God bless
10: him. God but, bless him. But, but, again,
2: but you vote from whomever you want to vote for, it's your business. But you, it's the same arguments every four years and nothing ever changes yeah. and as we keep repeating the same behavior every four years <laughs> and nothing ever happens.
10: That's right.
2: So whose fault is that? Our own. That's who? The People voting are bad popula- at pattern
7: pop- recognition.
2: Yep. Very, very bad yeah. at it. Okay, I got to mention this yesterday. To be on the tarmac out at, uh, out at Pr- Premier uh, at Flying Cloud mm-hmm. with four generations of people standing on the tarmac, this beautiful jet comes around. Doug Sprinthal saw the picture, and he goes, how did your father-in-law, when did he get a G5? And I'm like, he doesn't have a G5. <laughs> it's a place Now Don And I didn't know this until Thanksgiving I never knew I knew that he got injured That he got got wounded in yep. World War II then I always I thought it. he was shot He was shot and it was a mortar too. shrapnel In the mortar b- shrapnel, butt yeah. mm-hmm. in Well the if bed, you're going go to get shot
7: That's where to get shot
2: I thought it was in the back too
10: yeah, I probably
6: he's he has a shot in
2: the butt. <clears throat>
7: Well, shrapnel tends to hit multiple places. Yeah, yeah a shrapnel, shrapnel is all over. The whole yeah. idea, I'm
2: yeah. talking
6: about the shot. So it was the a butt.
2: bomb. A bomb went off, and he got the shrapnel I'm from order, the bomb. A yeah. mortar. Yeah, there you go, mortar. So Don, who's 93 years old, uh, moved back here from Arizona, and Alex and Andy's mom, Catherine, worked like a dog getting this thing going. Had she you worked to work. Maybe you've heard of Catherine, I'm not <laughs> sure. But she worked very, very hard to get this done. So we got uh, all of the Brandt families out there. Andy and Melissa are there. And of course, Alex and Fawny are there.
6: Well, we weren't even, I wasn't even going to be able to be there, but then mm-hmm. I could.
2: Luckily, it worked out. It so this plane comes, and first of all, it, it comes from, from west to east. And as it goes by in the distance, I go, there's this airplane right there. And everybody mm-hmm. went, no, no, that's a commercial jet. And I said, "No, it's not. That's how big that jet is." <laughs> so there you it go. It wasn't that big. It it's was big. a damn G five. Nice. I think big. it was a nine seater. It was a nine seater. I think. Yeah. Yeah.
10: yeah, but yeah, but it could be a you know, it could be a thirty seater. Uh, I mean, you've seen really the size wasn't. of the seats. It wasn't a G five. It wasn't a
2: G five. What was it? It was a big jet. It was it a, a citation. G- I think a okay. citation
7: something. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: but in any case, uh, I have the tail number. I look it up. Yeah. And this is Alex's fault, Melissa by the does. way, partly, I'm
4: sure.
2: partly Alex's fault. So uh, fault? the plane lands, the pilot gets off the, well, the co-pilot gets off, then the pilot gets off. And then as Don's getting off the airplane, I look over and Alex is all teary eyed. So then I get all teary eyed. I cried when
1: he
6: landed.
2: I know. I tried your twice. Fault I cried twice. This is your fault that I teared up.
6: Okay, yeah, because I didn't inherit that whole thing from you
2: anyway. You think it was from your mom? God. You're saying that I'm an emotional guy? Is that what yeah, you saying?
6: Yeah, maybe a little Tommy bit. Tommy
2: gets a little emotional <laughs> once in a while.
6: Sometimes.
2: But to witness a 93 year old man getting off an airplane, I did not know until last Thanksgiving, and I only knew then because I saw the plaque. I had never seen this plaque. He got every medal except pretty much the Congressional Medal of Honor. He was—he still—he's got the purple heart because he was, you know, the mortar round that hit him uh, put the shrapnel all mm-hmm. up his back and in his butt cheeks, or <laughs> wherever, yeah. wherever it is. Oh, but goodness. the butt cheek ones they could take out. It's the ones in his back they can they are still in there apparently.
10: Yeah. Yeah. Usually they just leave him in, mm-hmm.
2: unless they. Oh, have do to. they really?
10: Yeah. yeah. Once it heals, <laughs> his might as well stay in. Doesn't hurt you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I suppose, but uh, he gets off the airplane. <clears throat> So Kat, Alex and I are called a little teary-eyed, and then the, the pilot points to the co-pilot, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to introduce my co-pilot. He was a POW in Vietnam. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, God, I don't know if I can take this anymore. <laughs> so this guy could not have been a nicer guy. I mean just a wonderful wonderful thing. The place is again it's called Veterans Airlift <laughs> Command. It's veteransairlift.org mm-hmm. if you want to donate. They pick these veterans up for free and fly them wherever you need yeah, them to no take. No
6: cost to the veterans. Mm-hmm. No or cost their to the veteran or this, their family. This guy owned Un- believe the pilot owned the airplane it was his airplane and he lives somewhere in arizona where he can just like go on his airplane and like out his back door apparently and fly it and he does four trips a year for this veterans airlift command that
2: was one of them
7: Well, to those people, World War II vets are like the legends. Oh, mm-hmm. God, yeah So they love being able to help World War II vets because yep. there's not a whole lot of them left.
2: No, God, 93. Well, Don was 16 when he went in, so that yep. shows you how young. Yeah. He's probably the youngest one out there He's
7: now. one of yep. the youngest world war ii about so well, i just sure. got
6: so emotional because it's been such a long time coming and we yeah, thought he was going to move here in like april and then that didn't happen and, and then yeah. yeah and covid and he's been stuck in that horrible place he was living by himself he can't have any guests his wife dies at the very beginning and of he gets COVID. to look
2: at that every day where
10: and she living died in the like, same
6: oh, yeah i know i'm just like he's just Ugh. been in such a horrible situation and it's
10: hmm that's what we're doing we're not very humane with regards to our elderly no No, we we can't go touch them we can't go hug them or anything oh we can't hug your you can't hug your father who has dementia oh my god he might die he might get covid oh he might get covid oh gee don't touch him i mean it's So I know
6: it's. We all hugged him. <laughs> we all. Can everybody hugged
7: <laughs> him. The last him. year they have enlisted. Him a pat on the shoulder. <laughs> patted him on the shoulder. Good to <laughs> see. The last World War II vet would have enlisted in what? Forty five. Yes. So that was seventy five years ago. Mm-hmm. So you know, if he's you enlisted 90. in the last year,
6: it. he's ninety three at the
7: age yeah. of sixteen. Then yeah, you'd be ninety one 91. now. So I mean, technically. They probably could have. They they probably got a couple of fourteen year olds in there, so maybe eighty nine for the youngest yeah, World War Two vet living. Yeah, so Don uh, sixteen
2: years old gets sent to uh, Europe. <clears throat> To free the death camps at mm-hmm. 16 years old. Yeah. Like, Can yeah. you that's imagine fun. seeing nope. that when you're 16?
10: No. no. Corpses
2: uh, everywhere.
10: Well, you don't. I think that any, <sighs> anytime, any kind of major action like that, I mean, the uh, you do not want to know what it's like. No. that, that That's no, a scar don't. that's left on these people. And the things that you see are just, you don't want to see. I mean, you don't want to know about and... You know they, they they try to do these movies. Oh, blah blah blah. Oh, it's just. Oh, this is the way it really is, and they try to make them as violent as possible. Pff, it ain't ten percent of what it no, is. You no, you can't show. Oh, God, you're yeah, right.
7: You can't show that on the screen. You, you know. Would. Well, the youngest person to ever enlist in World War II was twelve years old. Oh, what? Yeah, twelve. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
10: Is that the, from the Hitler youth? Because yeah, a lot of the Hitler say, youth. So they, well,
7: those no. This yeah, is the no. youngest U.S. Oh, US. person, okay. I should say. But, yeah, Calvin Graham, uh, 12 years old when he enlisted in
2: 1942. Jesus.
7: Yeah, you would think that they would have seen him and been like, you're clearly 12. He'd
2: only be 90 now. He's probably still alive unless he got killed in a war. He died quite some time ago. Oh, did he really? Yes. I suppose well if you have it in you ladies and gentlemen veteransairlift.org even if you want to leave them a buck that would be great because these guys spend that flight had to cost 15 g's per per wing I would I would say
6: and then he flew my uncle back to Arizona, back to Arizona with to, him yeah, yeah
2: with him so basically about 15 grand to get here and 15 grand to get back that'd be my, that's me guessing I don't know for sure.
10: Whatever, whatever the the maintenance on the plane and the gasoline, yep. and fuel is the fuel. quite expensive.
2: Yeah, but they are heroes. There's no doubt about it. We get the the uh, the Vietnam Vietnam War POW. You got Don is ecstatic to be back. The pilot could not have been a nicer guy. So thank you they again. They took
6: pictures of uh yeah, he did. They took pictures with him. <laughs> they
2: did indeed. Well, here we go. Uh, the G
7: five fifty. So how long was that flight, three hours? About three hours, a little Ish, over three hours, yeah. probably. Were it to be a G550, it would have burned 1,200 gallons in that time.
2: Wait a minute. 1,200 gallons? Yeah. And it's six bucks a gallon?
7: Uh, you, I don't know how much jet fuel is, but that's probably about right. So just the fuel alone... Would have been fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> just about fifteen thousand dollars for the fuel that there and God. back.
10: No, yeah, that's a fuel. That's that's
7: enough. just the fuel. It's a lot of fuel.
6: Woo. It wasn't a G five
7: though. It wasn't, but no, it was it, you know, it was
10: something like Well, that. well you, you don't get a much better gas mileage with a citation. No, in, no, in no citation. You know. Oh you know, we're gonna it's, give yeah. you a, we're gonna give you a half mile per gallon. Not a quarter mile per gallon, yeah. we're gonna give you a half mile
7: per gallon. Yeah. Jets yeah. do gallons per hour. They do gallons per hour, yeah. Miles per gallon is a meaningless number. Is that like six gallons per minute or something? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's a lot. It's uh, a lot. 400 gallons per hour. 400
2: gallons an hour. I know. 1,200 gallons. Yeah, you're yeah, right.
7: Yeah,
6: they brought a tanker truck out to fill up the plane and fun. was like, it's a tanker truck!
2: She was all excited about the tanker truck. She has a
6: book about a tanker truck that goes, <laughs> Well, it's a little boy that has a toy tanker truck and then he imagines if he were to drive a tanker truck and then it talks about how most them. tanker trucks are started as dairy trucks. Oh, really? And it goes, yeah, they start as dairy <clears throat> trucks and... um,
10: What? Yep. That's not true. That's not true. I don't, that's not true.
9: I well, don't know. Great
10: story. If not you want true. to
7: feel bad about flying, Never. here's a quick quiz before we go to our break. Oh, God. All right, here we go. How quiz. long do you think it takes a 747 to burn a gallon of fuel? Five
2: seconds.
6: Less than that Less than that (laughs) A millisecond
2: Mm. One second (laughs) One second Gallon gallon per second Oh my god Mm -hmm. So on a three hour flight You're burning a little fuel Going to to
7: Europe (laughs) Three hours That would burn About 11,000
2: gallons of fuel 11,000 gallons $66,000 worth of gas
7: That's one
10: reason I'm trying to fly less Good but, plan. But it's actually the carbon footprint and fuel usage is more with a car.
7: Yeah. Well, if you were to drive all the way down there, I'm just saying travel less in general.
10: Yeah.
7: It
2: all works go. for me, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back rehumanizing the workplace, future proofing your organization while restoring hope, well being, and performance. Rosie Ward, I am, I am really missing hope, well-being, and performance these days, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> oh, my God. I was just talking because I do a morning show in town as well, and I was talking about on my morning show this morning. I've gotten to the point now after four or five months, whatever it's been, I wake up in the morning and go, we still have this? <laughs> oh, God, whether it's the, the COVID or, or Black Lives Matter or the election or what. Uh, Rosie, I can't take much more.
1: I know. Don't you feel like you're in one of those bad infomercials in the 90s? But wait, there's more. (laughs) But
2: wait, wait, there's more. Yeah, it's just wonderful, isn't it? Um, (laughs) In any case, rehumanizing. What do you mean by rehumanizing the workplace?
1: Yeah, well, in many cases, some people say, was it ever really human? But there Uh are really great workplaces that that have been human and have been paving the way for decades and outperforming their counterparts, and... it's really about how do we get back to that or organizations that lost their way or never found their way. How do they learn from these organizations that really are putting humanity back at the forefront, honoring the complexity and messiness of what it means to be human rather than treating people like they're predictable, controllable machines.
2: You know, Rosie, what I have to do is ask uh, one of our listeners, Wendy, to call in. Because if Wendy was talking to you, it would sound like you were each talking to yourselves. Yeah, a little
7: bit. Oh, (laughs)
1: funny. You too.
2: Your voices sound very similar. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be hilarious. Wendy, call in and ask a question. Is she
1: my voice doppelganger? That's awesome.
2: (laughs) Yeah, she's your voice doppelganger. Exactly. I think it's wonderful. Uh, In any case, business must reinvent the workplace post-COVID-19. Oh, you're based in Minneapolis?
1: I am, yeah. Rosie,
2: wonderful. No wonder you sound like a Minnesotan. (laughs) That all works out in the end. It
5: does, it does.
2: Okay, so imagine a world where everyone can come to work as their uh, authentically human best selves. They feel fulfilled, supported, and cared for. Wait a minute, Rosie, you're leading me down the primrose path here. This sounds way too good.
1: Uh, It does, but you know what, it's not fiction, it's not unicorns, it's not rainbows. So uh, there are amazing workplaces that we feature in our book that we've been really fortunate to work with that really put a lot of intentionality into their leadership, into their culture, into their purpose, where is it all unicorns and rainbows? No, but um, do they constantly work to get better? Do people feel fulfilled? Are people knocking down their doors to work there? Do people actually love their work? Yeah, and, and we need more of that, it, and especially, I think, if COVID has taught us anything. I mean, yes, people want to be employed, but people, I think it's reshifted priorities, and people are looking at what is important and what matters and what do they want to put up with.
2: You know, that makes total, I, I think that the key point for me in that is what matters. I'm trying at this point in my life to to pay most attention to what actually does matter. Is that a good idea?
1: Yeah. I, I think for all of us, regardless of our age, I think when we get clarity of what matters to us, we can put our energy in the right spot and not give energy where it, it isn't productive and it isn't helpful.
9: Yes,
2: and that's the whole deal. Being, Are we productive as a society right now? That's another question. We've got to be somewhat productive, but we're nowhere near our top ability to be productive, are we? I
1: don't think so. I also think there's a huge difference between being productive and being effective so i yeah, think a lot yeah. of times people are working harder and you hear people that are working from home they're working more hours they're taking less breaks and they're like oh i'm super productive but it comes at a cost and i think that we have to think about are we actually being effective and i and i i would suggest that that's more important than just how productive we are
2: yeah that does make sense you know rosie once in a while i think back I'm in my 36th year on the KQ Warning Show now, Mm -hmm. and I look back over the 36 years or 35 years going in, you know, the 36th year now. But I look back and I think to myself, if I had not allowed all these different people into talking me into things, I'd have a much better life. You know, how do you how do you avoid that, Rosie, that you're on a great path, you're really doing well, and then all of a sudden, whether it's, you know, the general manager or whomever, oh, this is a great idea, and you go, that's really a bad idea. But they go, well, I'm the general manager, and you go, oh, well, whatever, you know. Over the years, there are at least four or five instances on that show where if I said, no, you're not doing that, we'd have been much better off, but... But because, I don't know, maybe I thought I was all powerful or something and could even overcome their stupidity. Turns out it's really hard to do, really hard to do.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and let's be honest, nobody's perfect and we all make mistakes, but I think part of it is, do you take the learning from that, right? And I and I don't know about you, but I think about every stupid mistake I've made or every misstep I've made. Right. If I've used it to learn and grow and and become better. And sometimes you can go, look back and go, "Wow, that was dumb." But did I learn from it? And has it helped shape who I am now? Absolutely. And so I think that if we think we're going to be without bumps and bruises, then we're a robot or we're superhuman. We're not an actual real human being, right? And
9: so right,
1: uh, yeah. So I think it's I think it's what do you do with those? And let's be honest, there are some environments that aren't human. They are cultures of fear, and people can't speak up and that's not that's not good either right you need to have an environment where you can say let's talk about this because if it's really detrimental do we really want to take that risk and sometimes you do want to take a risk but if you can't you don't have a safe environment where people can have those honest authentic conversations that doesn't help anybody
2: okay so rosie i'm working for you and you rosie ward come and say tom we're going to rehumanize the workplace uh future-proof our organization while restoring hope, well-being, and performance. What can I expect from you as a a worker?
1: Well, yeah, as a worker, first of all, I mean, we have a very small company, but I obviously try to get to know my people on a personal level and find out what makes them tick and what's the work that fulfills them and what work drains them and where can they shine and where do they want to learn and where do they want to grow. And I think if we can do that with our people, we're going to, we're going to, unleash what's best in people. And I don't think we ask those questions enough of of what, what are people interested in, what do they enjoy, what fulfills them, what drains them. We also have to have a clear company purpose. And so our purpose, not surprising given our book title, is to rehumanize the workplace so people can bring their best selves to work and home each day. And so we look at everything of what products, what services, what workshops, what consulting work, what speaking engagements can we do that can help further that purpose. And I think that organizations that have that clear sense of purpose and people know what it is, and it's not just words on a wall, and they know how they fit into it, and they know how they can further it and contribute it. People want to belong. They want to feel part of something, and they want to be able to bring that forward. And, and that, that is worth so much to people. I mean, not that they don't want a fair pay, but that's worth way more than a paycheck for people. You
2: know what amazes me? We were talking about this earlier today, Rosie, is that, you know, back, I've always liked the slogan, do no harm. You know, they yeah. talk about this, that, and the other thing, but do no harm. Uh, We left that back in the dusty trail many, many, many decades ago. Uh, uh, An example of that would be Amazon. Amazon, we pay for the shipping of their packages. We, the taxpayers. How that ever happened, how that was allowed to happen, I will never understand. So this man gets away with murder, and I understand that he is one of the lowest paying guys in the business. Is that true? Mm -hmm. And by the business, I mean big tech
1: yeah i i don't i don't know if he's the lowest but i mean yeah there's a lot of different business models that that uh don't necessarily treat their people well pay their people well um but then there's so many good businesses that are completely operating counter to that and Mm -hmm. guess what they're all performing the s p 500 by a 14 to one so there's there's something to be said for doing different doing business differently and better
2: see i think that's wonderful news i had no idea that was true i'm really glad i asked you that question Because it's not all about just you being a trillionaire, it's about you're a billionaire, you're very fortunate, why don't we take care of everybody now? I'm in a position that everyone who comes in the front door of any Amazon in the world is going to do really well, because I did really well. We're going to share it, we're going to do no harm, my people are going to make really good money, right?
1: yeah I mean I think it's it's all about lifting lifting up others and yep. when you look when you look at the the for-profit companies because there's some the publicly traded not there's some that are privately held, but when you look at these organizations and it's not just in the u s globally they did research in Brazil on these companies and yeah they offer they operate completely counter to business as usual and yet their numbers blow their competition out of the water and so I think when we shift from a numbers focus to a stakeholder, culture, purpose, human focus, the numbers actually serve us well.
2: See, I think that's that's terrific. So Rosie, what is your background? You're very smart. <laughs> well you are. I mean no, I'm sorry well, No Rosie, yeah, you're an no. idiot. <laughs> uh,
1: well yeah so I have a my background is in uh, kinesiology and public health for my first two degrees and then I have a PhD in organization management so I'm all about kind of fusing individual well-being with organizational health and well-being
2: aren't you the one as they want all
1: right (laughs) and you know what I have so you know what Tom I have to tell you that like we have a really small history like 20 years ago you had a segment on your morning show where you wanted people to write in with Richard names or dick names and you (laughs) were one of them and I wrote in with one, and I said my dad worked with somebody named Richard Cox, and you wrote, you read it on the air, and so that was so unfortunate, and I won a Sam Adams prize pack. So there
2: we go. <laughs> you won a Sam Adams <laughs> prize
1: pack. I did. That's I amazing. Did.
2: <laughs> Rosie, you're the best. That's hilarious. Are you booked, Are you booked on the morning show to, to talk about your book? but I should be. Yeah, we'll get, you, we'll get you booked. I'd love to talk to you on the morning show as well, especially, although I will not call you Rosie, I'm just going to call you Dick or something.
6: <laughs> Maybe you'll get a Sam Adams prize. Maybe you'll
2: get a Sam Adams prize pack, Rosie. <laughs> I'll get you booked. Thank you. I'll just reach out to this, uh, this uh, number at the top here. This is what I'll do. The That's a 978 number?
1: Yeah,
2: yep. Okay, I'll have them reach out to you, Rosie. Thank you.
1: Thank you
2: so much. Have a wonderful day. Rosie Ward, ladies and gentlemen, the book is called Rehumanizing the Workplace, Future-Proofing Your Organization While Restoring Hope, Well-Being, and Performance. God, she was a very smart woman.
6: Wendy said, she does sound like me, mm-hmm. doesn't she? <laughs>
2: she <laughs> does. Why didn't you call in, Wendy, a pill? She's, she's <laughs> worried herself. I want to hear her talking to herself. That lunch would have been break's the greatest. over. Well, that's Oh, all of a sudden, the lunch break's over at 12.58. I like it. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.